it's so good to see you. And after, <laughs> I know you've been on a lot of adventures since I last saw you, and I'm trying to follow you as much as I can in your talks. And it's just exciting to see all the places that you're going and people you're meeting. And yeah, really exciting to have you here on this podcast. Um, I think that everybody's, well, everybody's gonna be wanting to listen to this one. So the first thing I, I would like to do is just um, read your bio, your short bio, and then um, we'll launch into the interview. Okay, so Swami Bhakti Pranay Paminava was born in Buenos Aires, Argentina in 1980. And after a comprehensive existential crisis during his teenage years, he engaged in intense studies and inner exploration, all of which converged in his joining a Gaudiya ashram when he was 19 years old. He remained as a brahmachari for the next nine years, doing book distribution, puja, cooking, cleaning, and managing, but most especially engaging in his favorite devotional angas, chanting Sri Nam, studying Shastra, and sharing Harikata in intimate association with the sadhus. He accepted sannyas at 28, and after a truly unexpected turn of events with his former spiritual preceptor, he accepted Guru Maharaj as his Harinam Diksha and Sannyas Guru on the day of Jiva Goswami's Tirobhav. At present, he is mostly focusing, focused in writing, reading, chanting, and speaking four services that Guru Maharaj emphasized to him as his main duties. For the last two years, and probably for many more to come, he spends considerable time traveling around the world in the spirit of relief work, also as part of what his Guru Maharaj has requested to him. He has recently published his first book. I'll show this to you. Inherent inherent or inherited bhakti in the jiva according to the Gaudiya Vedanta, which he is presenting in his present U.S. tour with the hope of rendering some seva to the world Vaishnav community and, and through that receive the necessary blessings to further engage in that same seva in a more humble and authentic way. So this is on Amazon, everybody. It's in a softback and also hardback version. And it will keep you um, entertained for many days to come because it's a nice big book. And um, so I'm excited that I got my book off of Amazon. And then, so we'll try to have that, at least the first chapter uh, by the time you get here. <laughs> and I would just like to say that I am, I have just been um, so happy to have met um, Paminava Swami. He has just added so much value to my life. Um, and I've had the great fortune of getting to spend some 
some extended periods of time with him when he was stranded at our house during COVID, one of those silver linings of COVID that got to have so much of your association. And I can just truly say that aside from being extremely scripturally um, informed and really understanding how to apply the scriptures in a relevant um, contemporary way, he also lives the scriptures in his everyday life. So he's been just an amazing example for me. And he has also prolific uh, speaker and gives so many talks that are just packed full of realizations and, um, and, and just wonderful talks. He has um, series like Venu Gita, the Brahmara Gita, the Gopi Gita, Panchatattva series, Shikshastakam series, Gora Astakalia Leela series. I mean, there's so many series that he has done and I can't listen to them enough. I've got to go back and listen to them over and over again. And those are on Shabda Bhavan and also they're on iTunes and I'm sure there are other places as well. So that's my little introduction. And I would like to start, you said something very interesting about having a comprehensive existential crisis. And I'm curious, what, what exactly was your comprehensive existential crisis and what did it look like? Well, good morning to all of you to begin with for now. And thank you, Archon City, for your second extended bio of myself that you just shared <laughs> and your generous uh, words about me. And I'm, I'm equally fortunate and blessed by having your, your association. And, and also to begin with, congratulations for your recent grandchild manifested over there. Thank you. So very interesting chapter in your life as well. So... <laughs> Regarding comprehensive existential crisis, well, I mean, if you if you allow me to to track back a little bit before that, just because I mean, I was not just directly born in an existential crisis. Although, as, as Guru Maharaj would like to say, human life is in itself an existential crisis. You don't need to have one. <laughs> you are one. We are one, and and that's about and that's about, of course, expected to be. To be solved in a comprehensive way, given the comprehensiveness of, of the crisis. So, uh, what to say? Uh, well, to begin with, uh, if I if I am allowed to to track back to to my birth in this this life, sure, yeah. Well, I, I've been blessed to be born on, on a auspicious day to, on a lunar calendar. I was born on, on the day of Kupasthami. What's happening, Sumate? She said she's not getting sound. Did you book do the English? Yeah, put mm. on English. Are can every, can everybody that? else? Did anybody else have trouble hearing on the computer? No. So it's you. I'm sorry. No problem. <sighs> Just to give a beginning point, this lifetime I was saying that I was really blessed by being born on the day of Gopastami, which also coincides with the day of Subal, wow. Beshmilan, and, and the writing of, of, of 
of, of the Mukta Charit of Raghunath Das Goswami, which is interestingly three events that somehow very much eventually will have defined my wow. my devotional trajectory. So that that's a special mercy that in, in one way or another I feel has has been there for some reason and helped me with solve this or try to solve this comprehensive existential crisis. And of course, uh, regarding how bhakti comes to our life, bhakti is jadricheya. I mean, it comes out of its own will and agency. So, I mean, we should have to ask Bhakti Devi about that, how, how I came to Bhakti. It's, it's mm -hmm. about her <laughs> mercy. But, but I would say to begin with, also I received some interesting uh, some scars in the context of spirituality and religion. And this I reply as part of the context of the spiritual uh, existential crisis I, I mentioned. Yeah. My mom wanted to be a nun when she was young. So I always kind of received from her some very much intense inherent, in, 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 like religious impressions. And I had these reminders when I was a kid going to church and, and I was kind of an, in awe in the experience of being in the church and just being there, you know, like, like attracted to, to the mystery of it all. Well, for me, it was a pretty mysterious thing to be in, in, in these big churches. And the, of course, it was a more Aishbaric experience, but nonetheless, in connection to something spiritual. So somehow I, I recall those, those moments of awe in the face of mystery and, and somehow in time, all those will come to the surface and of course demand some, some answer from my side, what to do with the mystery, if you will. No? And, and that's, will be, that will be of course quite connected with, with existential crisis in itself. Uh, and as I grew as a child, as a teenager, I was pretty much a normal person <laughs> with my social interactions and so on. But also I, I enjoyed a lot being by myself, like being alone, reading, a lot <laughs> and, 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 and also started to, to, to connect more and more as I grew up with artistic sensibilities. I always liked to, to draw when I was a child also and started to write. I started to play music, to learn different instruments and, and, and arts was a big uh, portal for me to express my, my crisis, which I was not yet aware officially that I was in the midst of that. But <laughs> I was trying to navigate my, my life through, through those things. And of course, mm -hmm. an interesting point also that on some level defined my, my trajectory was celibacy. No? That, that, that I, I was never like very much inclined towards the pr prospect of, of a family and so on. And, and of course, none of these things are adhikar for bhakti. No? It's not that you have to be brahmachari or to have to be introspective or to have to like to read or to like arts, but somehow, my point is all these elements gradually became more and more apparent that I was, as they say in English, in, in the road less traveled, you know? like choosing, choosing to be in the direction with most of the people was not going. So gradually this started to become part of this existential crisis in the, in the way, in the sense of the whole world is going in one direction and I'm being called, somehow I feel I'm called in another direction when I was like, I don't know, maybe 15 years old. Uh, I have some very intense epiphany regarding vegetarianism. One day my mom put a plate of non-vegetarian dishes in front of me and just like internally I went to 
travel in my mind when it where when is this coming from where is this coming from originally so of course you had i had to go through the, in my journey through this slaughterhouse and so on <laughs> and when i returned i was like five minutes traveling in my mind i returned to the plate my mom was looking at me what's going on and i just pull away the plate and say i cannot eat this anymore and so from that moment i i became vegetarian uh Fortunately, my mom, of course, uh, supported me and learned some new recipes and so on. <laughs> and I would say that in the context of comprehensive existential crisis, a very breaking point uh, was the divorce of my parents, because mm -hmm. I, I'm an only child, as many of you may know. So, you know, to be an only child has a lot of... <laughs> pros and cons, uh, whatever. For some reason, I'm there. Of course, my mom lost like three pregnancies. So I was not supposed to be the only child, but I was destined to be somehow. At least on a physical level, I was the only one. So I was I was born and I was like uh, raised in a very loving way. I really am appreciative and, and, and grateful for what I received from my two parents. Um, but somehow you are an only child. And I was the only child and I was the only grandchild. So many things revolved around basically me as, as a very little Easter day of the family or something like that. So willingly or unwillingly that creates some, some comfort zone. And, and, and also you are raised in a kind of idyllic romantic uh, picture of, of life and reality. Mm -hmm being the only child, but eventually divorce created like some breaking point of all that. And, and many things started to appear and to come into the surface that were already there, but one is, was not realizing that because of these layers of uh, romanticism, if you will. So it, it was a very strong, like coming down to earth and welcome to the real world, if you will. No? <laughs> and, I, and there I was like, I think 12, 13 years old when that happened. And it was a pretty intense experience. So that took me to, to, to lots of suffering. And of course, suffering, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm grateful to suffering. Suffering took me to, to want to stop suffering. Of course, that Krishna says one of the four people approaching him is the afflicted one. And most of us come from that club, if you will. <laughs> so I joined a spiritual life or, or I looked for, for answers in that connection. So gradually my my life started to take some turn. No? When I was like a kid and young teenager, I was also a lot into sports. But when this, with this breaking point of divorce and thing came, I started like to, it was also a breaking point that cracked on reality and showed me new aspects of reality that also I was willing to explore. So mm -hmm. I switched from sports to music. I was already into music, but more and more to play, to, to delve into that universe. And of course, with music comes some other, some other elements. You have this famous connection between rock and roll and drugs and sex. In my case, there was no sex. It was that very interesting combination. <laughs> I was trying to, I was connected to this rock and roll world and, and, and the drugs in the context of experiencing um, like new layers of reality, basically. I, I never indulged in drugs in, in the context of like, I don't know, degrading myself and fighting with other people and breaking stuff or who knows what, but just like discovering, I was, I was discovering, oh, there are other layers to reality than the ones I thought. So through, through some 
of course, I'm not promoting let's take drugs in that context, but also I know that for some people who may be extremely attached to, I only believe in what I can perceive with my senses, some of those experiences may show them there's something more there. So mm -hmm. if I can track my timeline, it will be sports, rock and roll, and then bhakti, if you will. <laughs> so, so eventually this existential crisis in, in my teenage years, which of course are generally defined by, by some form of crisis, some transition period, I was not at all identified to having like a normal life, if you will, like study, high school, university, work, house, family, death. <laughs> if you will, yeah. I will like summarize the trajectory in that way. So mm -hmm. I was not at all like feeling part of that, but of course not knowing what could I do as an alternative. So I started to, to read and to study. Meanwhile, I was exploring arts and all this. So at one point I thought I may like to study philosophy because I was attracted to philosophy when I went once to if I lost an university of philosophy and I was kind of idealizing everyone there will be like Socrates and Platon or uh, Plato, Plato, sorry, and speaking and, and, and leaving philosophy on, on, at every step. And of course that's not the case. <laughs> and I found more political and, and relative issues and philosophy was a theoretical thing, but not so much a lifestyle. So I was kind of frustrated with that. So I, I was not, identify with starting a career. Even at some point I became atheist for some time, at least that was I was telling to myself. Wow. <laughs> um, but, but not because I actually was not believing in God, but I was just not satisfied with whatever version of it I had received till that moment, because I, I would like to inquire in detail about that. I was not very satisfied with mm. what people will tell me about God. So. Again, there was this deep search for, for purpose, for meaning. I, I was not finding meaning in life. It wasn't, and there was no Google at the time to which you put, I have an existential crisis, how to solve it. <laughs> so yeah, it may, it may sound like Dwapra Yuga, no, no internet at the time, but that, that was the case. So whatever books were there, I tried to grab them. And I, I was searching a lot through music, but again, especially reading. So I started to read philosophy from the West, which is a very intense experience, reading like Schopenhauer and Nietzsche and mm -hmm. many others in those directions. Gradually, I started to lean to religions, religion from the West. I went back to the Bible. Then I started to study spirituality from the East, Buddhism, Hinduism, eventually religion, spirituality from India. Every time the, the search became more and more specific, I will say, no, from from west to east and from east to India and from India, of, of course, eventually to 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 Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Um, and also, again, going back one for one moment to the just with this, I, I'll let you continue with the exchange. Uh, the the celibacy aspect was also unique because I was not attracted to to have family life, but I didn't have a clue about brahmacharya at that time. So I was like kind of overwhelmed or astonished, like what's going on? And I, I think I told you once my parents came and told me, darling, no matter which choice you make in your life, we will always love you. <laughs> so I told them I, I, I'm not gay. No. <laughs> Because I, I could feel that that was the implication of the question. Of course, I have no problem with homosexuality, but it was it's not my case. So they were like, 
okay, so th then what's going on? <laughs> because every, all of my friends had their partners. So I was the, the exception to the rule. So, and I told them, I don't know what's going on, trying to, to figure that out. And of course, mm -hmm. when I knew about the possibility of monastic life and the details of that, I really felt, well, that's me. And as I think I also told you once, some years ago when one devotee made me one astrological chart for some health issues, at one point he, he told me, Maharaj, uh, you have the perfect chart for the sannyasi. You have Venus, Venus, which is a planet of romance in the worst possible position. So <laughs> romanticism is not for you in this land. And I told him, yes, I'm sure I know that. Thanks for the further confirmation, if you will. <laughs> so, so some ideas in connection to all this idea of finding my own identity and, and going through this yeah, existential crisis. So. Yeah. Wow. Well, we're grateful that your mother didn't become a nun. <clears throat> That's the first thing. <laughs> and the, probably her thoughts about becoming a nun probably helped her. I would imagine it helped her to um, be okay with your direction. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say so that there's, I mean, she totally supports me. That That's totally clear. As I've made it clear many times, she always expressed how happy and grateful she is for the path I've chosen. And, and as I always tell, she once told me, she once told me very nicely, uh, spontaneously, someday you return back home here, I will send you right back immediately to the temple. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I, I know that's your place. I know that's you there. And I say, yes, I hope that will never happen. But just in case you, you know what to do. So thank you. for yeah, so so you went. You say so you were going through this major existential crisis for it sounds like a number of years. It was kind of brewing and developing, and you had a lot of clues in your early life that indicated that you weren't met for the ordinary course of activities. Um, actually, Krishna says that in the Gita. Does anyone who doesn't depend on the ordinary course of activities is very dear to me. So <laughs> you were very dear to Krishna coming in and obviously had been a bhakta for probably at least your last lifetime for sure and made a lot of advancement. So from here, how did you, how did you come in contact with the devotees? How did you find your path? How did, you, how did that take place? Mm. Well, as I told you, I was already studying and reading and, and, and everything became more and more specific in time in the direction of India and the direction of, and eventually of course of Bhakti. Uh, of course, I've met devotees a lot throughout my lifetime when I was younger, you always have these memories of devotees in the street chanting or seeing someone shaven with orange robes and so on. But more specifically, I remember meeting one devotee who eventually I knew he was disciple of Bhaktivedanta Swami he was distributing books. So I was maybe that time, like 16 years or something. So I was right in the midst of my crisis, which was basically from 13 to 19, basically. And he was distributing books and he gave me one perfection of yoga. And I didn't have money to, to pay to him. And I told him and he gave me the book as a gift. So that created some impression in me. Oh, these guys are here not for the money. So, wow, they mm -hmm. want to share this message. They have this ideal, this, this commitment with the ideal. So I appreciated that. 
although I read the book, it, and it was not like yet an, an epiphany for me. But then I, we, we, I have one friend of mine who lives now in, in Spain with whom we, we have to music. We, we play music together in different projects. He played bass, bass, and I played drums, one band. And also he learned bansuri or bamboo flute. And I learned tabla, which is Indian percussion. And we, were, we used to do dots, do lots of musical thing, but also we, we used to speculate a lot philosophically. <laughs> we used to get together and just think about life and speak about, because the two of us were really looking for meaning and purpose. And eventually he became a Vaishnava. He, he was the first, if I'm not mistaken, first initiated disciple of, of Trilanarayan Maharaj in Argentina. Chaitanya Krishna Das, that's his name now, in, in case he's watching this or whatever. Uh, and in case he's not, no problem. And, uh, and we were once reading one book by Joseph Campbell, which is pretty interesting because I know that your interviews kind of follow his <laughs> structure of the hero's journey. <clears throat> so we were reading one book of his, not his, their main ones, the hero of the thousand masks and so on. But we were reading one book that he was just speaking about myth, myths from East. And there were different chapters dedicated to different deities, if you will. So there was one chapter dedicated to Krishna. And in that chapter, the Damodar Lila was described. So we didn't have a clue. I didn't connect. This is the, the, the same person that this perfection of yoga was pointing to. So we read this book and we both especially liked that chapter. Krishna, wow, nice, attractive, <laughs> charming, Damodar Lila. How, how, how could it not be so? So we said to each other, if you find something else about Krishna, you let me know. Remember, there was no internet at the time, although it sounds like previous age. So, <clears throat> so eventually I was in a, visiting one friend of mine and she was, uh, living with her mother and her mother has different books on the shelf so I always try to gravitate it in those directions and I read Bhagavad Gita and I found this sounds weird so I was interested in that therefore so I opened the book and I saw all these illustrations of the the transmigration of the soul and these images which uh, it's how it looked like wow this is interesting it seemed a little psychedelic and I always like all this psychedelic stuff so I said that this must be interesting so I asked the book I borrowed the book and I realized mm -hmm. oh Krishna Krishna it is connected with this Damodar Lila so I called my friend and told him I found something more about Krishna if you want to read it because I was at the time reading I, I, re I was reading Aldo Huxley I think the island mm -hmm. after Brave New World so whatever so I gave the book to my friend. So he started reading the book and started going to the temple, which at that time was a temple from the temple he visited and eventually I visited was from the Brinda mission. And uh, he read the whole book and I finished my own books. And when I was finished, he gave me the Bhagavad Gita as it is, was Sila Prabhupada's version, edition. And, and, that was, and that was an epiphany, I can tell you. <laughs> Bhagavad Gita cities came and basically, yeah, saved my life, I could say. I mean, gave answers to all the questions I had and also gave answers to questions I was not asking to myself, but that I realized I should have been asking myself these questions as well. So I read the whole thing, I don't know, maybe in two days or something, I practically devoured the book because I was so thirsty for answers and Remember my friends calling me, come here. No, no, I'm busy. And I continue, come here. No, 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 no. And I was just like reading, reading. 
And when I finished the book, I called my friend, the one who gave me the book, read it first, actually. I gave him it to him. And I told him, where is the people who is practicing this? <laughs> because also some apprehension came like, okay, this is so nice, but I wonder if there's anyone practicing this. <laughs> because if I do not see the, 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 the how to say, I was attracted to bhakti through the philosophy, but first, but almost immediately, I mean, I needed to see the practicality, the common sense, the, the application of that. So I called my friend and I told, and he told me, he was funny. He told me, I was just waiting for this call. I knew you were calling me and telling me this. So I'll take you to the temple tomorrow. <laughs> so basically I went to the temple the next day and the temple happened to be like, 15 blocks from where I was living. And it was a place that always I was walking through, but I mm -hmm. never realized there was a temple. It was on the first floor. So I, I, I never knew. <clears throat> so I started to go and, and parallel to that, interestingly, <clears throat> as I mentioned, I was playing tabla and I was studying tabla with a teacher and he was also a Gaudiya Vaishnava. he is. But I never realized that. This, again, in time, I started like to connect the dots, basically. You know? So, oh, this, this book here, this book that the devotee gave me at one point and, and so on. So basically I started to go to the temple uh, every single day because at that time I was not studying. I was kind of in a sabbatic year, <laughs> teaching English and teaching drum lessons or something, but relatively free. So I was going all day, to the, every day to the temple in the morning, staying till evening, going back to sleep. Next day to the temple, all day till evening, going back to sleep. Till I went, at one point came this idea, I like to go and live mm -hmm. in the ashram, basically. No? <laughs> because meeting the devotees for me, of course, was a further confirmation no, of, of the book. No? Meeting the book Bhagavat, if you will, and the devotee Bhagavat. So I, I needed to see this is practically applicable in life. And there's people living this philosophy as a lifestyle. I mean, I, I need that. I was looking for that. So when, when I entered the temple the first time, I had also a very epiphany-like moment walking the stairs. It was, it was the first floor. And very overwhelming emotion that this is home. You know, you are mm -hmm. coming home. You are entering your home. It was like totally, I mean, I cannot put it in words. It's totally clear for me. Like, and, and It was similar to what I felt while chanting the, while reading, sorry, the Gita. And a few days after, sorry to mention this, I mean, not sorry, but sorry to extend myself maybe too much. No, no, not at all. This is but I, I, it comes to mind a third epiphany. You no, know, first one was reading the Gita. Second one was entering temple for the first time. And third one was I was chanting Hari now. I didn't have a Japa Mala of Tulsi beads, but I made myself a Japa Mala with, with string, the string that you, you put the, 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 the clothesline. Right? <laughs> so I, I was living in a, in a flat. And on the rooftop, there was like this thing for the, all the members of the flat to put their clothes to dry. So I'm sorry to confess this now, 23 years after. <laughs> Hopefully I won't be demanded, but I went and cut that, that string. Now, <laughs> one of them, not all. Oh, no, no, no. And I make knots on that. And I was not able to do 108 it would, because I will take in the whole string. It will be like a Damodar Lila taking all the rope from, from branch. <laughs> But I made one with 54, so I raised half of the of the total, and I would chant with that like two times, and that was one round, if you will. Mm. And with that type of japa mala, if you will, I also had a very undeniable epiphany moment. 
chanting Srinam. Like, again, I cannot put it in words, but it was like totally overwhelming how Krishna revealed to me while chanting in, in, in my room, in my house with, with that little piece of string <laughs> and totally confirming, further confirming, if you will, my, my journey, my, my trajectory, yeah. Oh, that's really, yeah, inspiring. And yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> really inspiring. I had that epiphany too when I went to the temple that this is home, but I also had something at the same time of, I don't want this to be home. This is too weird. <laughs> so I had a conflicting, but mm. Krishna said, no, it's home. You have to, you have to stay. It wasn't, mm. it, it wasn't easy, but I, I was convinced that, okay, this is, yeah. this is the yeah. way I have to go. I didn't want it to look like this. That was my, my, you ended up, you ended up being weird. No problem. <laughs> And I'm so glad. And I and I just, you know, more and more weird people like you that come into my life. It's like, yeah, this is the right place to be for sure. <laughs> so so you so you made it into the temple and you very easily took to a committed practice, it seems like, that there wasn't really a problem with the with taking up the the sadhana and the principles. The um, not upgraded 0.2.0 um, regulated principles, but the original version of the regulated principles. Stop promoting my lectures, please. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, um, so is that true that it was that you took to it pretty easily? There wasn't. Yeah, much, I mean, of course there were. Yeah, there were some in between challenges in the sense of. How to say i was having this like very raging passionate desire i want to go to live in an ashram but i have some few commitments if you will in the outside world i have two music bands and we were just we have just recorded some an album and we were projecting okay we will leave by doing music and i have to tell them okay i'm leaving the band and i'm going to live to an ashram as a monk which sounded for them like you are totally crazy I mean, for mm -hmm. them, it was, we knew you were already weird because they could see me and they knew me in my search and in my crisis and looking for things that they were not interested at the time. So I was already a little bit weird. But when I told them, that was like, okay, that officially confirmed that you are, you are totally weird. <laughs> so, I mean, they, they were, yeah, I, I understand. I mean, it was not, I mean, we were just after years of <laughs> working and struggling to, 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 to make trying to make a living out of music and, and we were start to get in it and I'm leaving the, the, the thing at that moment basically you know? but eventually in time they understood and, and many, many some of them are we are connected and we are friends and they actually start to inquiry on another level after some years of experiences as well and I remember yeah I remember that but there were very different things in between but yeah, I was so much determined that I want to go to an ashram. So at one point they told me, even you ha we have to make some concert, uh, like a farewell concert, one last concert with you. Mm. And I was like, I didn't want, but I say, okay, I understand we have to close the chapter. So I went and I said, well, but the, the two bands in the same night, because it's, I don't want too many things. And, and those concerts are very late. And they both were, still, were telling me, better do not go. It's dangerous. They may offer you who knows what to take. <laughs> 
and I knew that will happen, but I was really determined. I mean, I know they will offer me whatever, but I just want to close this chapter and open my new chapter. And it was like that. And I remember that night there was people offering some beer, some pot to smoke on the say, no, no, thank you. No, no, thank you. But why? And they were like, <clears throat> I said, we can continue our relationship with that dad in, in the midst of us. And, and, and I was really determined and people was in the audience shouting, why are you leaving? You should continue and all these type of things. Wow. But I just wanted wow. to close the, the chapter. No? And of course, as, as you may also know, when I wanted to go, I felt this strong need of give myself to, to the ideal. I, I didn't, I felt, I cannot, I cannot embrace such a comprehensive ideal half in a half-baked way. No, I, I, have, I want to give myself fully to the ideal. That only, only that, in that way, this could only give meaning to my life. No, I want to have full meaning. So yeah, I felt I want to, I had to go to the ashram, to go to live to the ashram. I remember the day I went to the ashram to ask the devotee, the senior devotee in charge about if he, if he could allow me to go to the ashram. I was so like, not nervous, but just thinking, and what if he says no? I mean, I, I couldn't like conceive what will I do with my life if I don't have that opportunity? <laughs> and I was so much like in anxiety. If he says no, I mean, basically, I don't know what, how to continue with my life. And if, I, if he says yes, of course, that's my, my life there. No? So of course, I fortunately, he said yes. <laughs> of course, when I told that to my mom also, that was a little bit of an interesting dynamics because as you may know, she was going at that time to a church, Christian church, which was pretty like narrow-minded. So they told him that I was entering a cult, they were brainwashing me and I was becoming a demon or who knows what. And I, and, and I started meanwhile going to the temple and every day I came back to the temple with some new items, some deities some picture. The next day I went, that thing disappeared or she told me it was broken. And after many days of stuff disappearing, I told mom, what's going on? I mean, tell me, wow. and she started of course crying and telling me, I love you and I'm afraid of you, I'm afraid what may happen to you. These people, the people in the church are telling me this or that. And I told him, no, that's not like this. You see me becoming like satanized or demoniac or and she told me, no, I, I see you much better than ever. <laughs> so I told her, yeah, let, come to me with, to the temple and you yourself see for yourself and ask whatever you want, I won't intervene. So fortunately she agreed, she was, very happy with the experience in the temple and then the people from the church call her and say so what happened because they knew she told no they're very nice people and they told her no 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 they're not nice people they're all bad people and if you think they're good people you will go to hell with them oh my gosh <laughs> the phone off and, and told me now i've realized which was the cult actually <laughs> wow and she started from that day on to visit the temples and the feast became vegetarian of her person. It's like a devotee without officially being initiated, if you will. No? So those are some of the little, if you want to call them challenges or obstacles on, on, in, the, in the path of Yeah, of breaking, <clears throat> yeah but, breaking away from the world. For you, yeah, yeah the bands were really, that was some... Yeah that you yeah. took to music as like something really important so that was yeah breaking away and disappointing them I mean, you were probably the lead singer you probably wrote all the music you probably you know played every instrument is that true i was not the lead singer i was the drummer in one and i was the guitar player in the other but i was mostly the one who wrote all the music wrote all the music yeah <laughs> that's that's pretty important uh service for the band 
can imagine. <laughs> they probably didn't continue after you left, did they? Whatever, but they understood in time and they were, I mean, in the, in the moment it was shocking, but eventually they, they appreciated and they valued my, my commitment with whatever I felt it was like valuable and worthy of pursuing. And, and until today, of course, from that moment till today, I feel that this idea of commitment to the ideal is, is everything. And, and I remember in this connection, once I asked Guru Maharaj, like, <clears throat> which service can I do that will please you the most? And he told me, try to increase your commitment with the ideal. So I was almost in ecstasy by hearing that, that, uh, that reply. Of course, it, that's totally challenging and that's forever, service forever, <laughs> yeah. for life. But I, it was right to the point. Try to increase your commitment with your mm. idea. Uh, similar to what Sila Semara said, try to change your angle of vision, basically. No? Yeah. So, well, so that was kept me there till now, I will say, you know, the, 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 the healthy sense of committing with, with such a noble and deep ideal. Yeah, well, so, yeah, so you started your practice and then like we've been looking at the Joseph Campbell um, <clears throat> paradigm and how that the challenges that come um, are actually there to help us enhance increase, upgrade, as you use that word a lot, I love that word, upgrade our bhakti. Um, and yeah, so what were some of the early challenges and well, maybe not just early, but going forward um, that really have impacted you and, and what you saw the positive um, growth from <clears throat> those challenges? Mm. Yeah, well, I will say that in the very beginning of my devotional life, there was, I, I mean, I won't say there were not challenges, but I was not perceiving them. I mean, <laughs> mm. I always challenges. The point is how much you are aware of them. So in the beginning, I was in my kind of bhakti honeymoon, honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> so just romanticizing all the experience mm. and quite naive. And, and I mean, I was really young. I joined the ashram when I was 19. So I, I was brahmachari, and again, I was very happy being a brahmachari. And at that time, I was mostly traveling and distributing books. For for yeah, the first years, it was mostly main service, traveling, distributing books, and traveling, distributing books, or not traveling, but distributing books. <laughs> and also in between, worshiping the deity and some other things, like I mentioned, and cooking and cleaning and so on. But eventually, after the 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 naive period, if you will, and the honeymoon ended, I, I, I started gradually to awake to the reality that, okay, devotees are also human beings with their own struggles. They are not, as I say, devotional superheroes. <laughs> and they are not all as I have idealized them in the beginning. So I start to, to, to awake to that reality and having to deal more and more with relationships. And of course, by realizing that that was the case in them, that start to realize that was the case in me as well. Mm -hmm. Because somehow you project, okay, now I'm a devotee, now I'm here in the ashram and distributing books and we are all kind of this like transcendental bubble and nothing is affecting us. But then you realize, no, no, that's not as true, that true. And that's affecting them, but as a reflection, that's going on with me as well. Mm -hmm. So, so I started to wake up with that, to, to awaken to that, to deal more and more with relationships and the complexities of 
any relationship, starting with one's relationship with oneself. And in time, I, I was not traveling that much and I started to take more responsibilities, if you will, in, the, in, in other areas, like taking charge of being responsible for ashrams, like temple president or doing some management, which is not my nature, but <laughs> there was the need was there. So I, one tries to, of, of course, to adapt to the necessity of the moment. And lots, again, lots of investment in, in, in relationships and dealing with people and, and communicating and learning the, the arts of that and knowing each other and relationships and relationships and relationships. <laughs> so I, I somehow became a psychologist without officially going through the title and all that it entails to be a psychologist because so much work invested into others' mind and how to understand and be, I'm not saying I'm, I'm perfect in that at all, but somehow- You're very, I, very good in that area. I've been really? thrown into that direction by force, probably because that was what I needed to work on the most. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, gradually <laughs> again, the, the natural challenge of awakening to many of my own limitations and anarthas, not only about mm -hmm. the environment, but especially like trying to, in time, dedicate more and more the, the focus on changing myself in the beginning. Again, it was the naive, Let's go on outside and save the world and preach and, and, and transform everything and convert every single atom that comes on our way. <laughs> uh, and eventually trying directing that emphasis more like, no, let's change myself and convert myself and, and, and develop a healthy stance to, to acknowledge my shortcomings without over identifying with them. I mean, still on that process, that's not, that's an ongoing thing. Mm -hmm. And also in the context of that, of course, I, I must mention that I have a very unique, uh, blessed opportunity to live very closely with, with certain Vaishnavs that uh, I, I, I really love and I'm very close friends of mine, like Vaishnav Maharaj or Govinda Dasi, which I, and others, which are Gauranbrita Dasi, which I've lived with them for almost 20 years and living really close together, not always in the same ashram per se, but working closely together for more than two decades. So with all its pros and cons in the sense of, of mostly pros, but always there are challenges in relationships and, and in really getting to know someone to that point, you know, it's kind of a marriage, if you will. <laughs> so, yeah. so that was very, very nice. And I'm so totally grateful for, for that experience that still keeps developing. Although now I'm in the dynamics of not staying too much physically close to them, but we are of course, continue with our relationship in, in a very substantial way and in time let's say with this i'm speaking just after 10 15 years of practice <laughs> gradually my, my myself as well as Vaishnav Maharaj for sure we, we had a very particular way of, of being and emphasizing and we were always very much identified with sadhana and studying shastra and trying to practice you no know, and trying to identify with with being a sadhaka so gradually the mood of in the mission we were in at that time were quite different apart from us. And the emphasis were more on relative things and relative ways of preaching and external expansion. So we were feeling more and more the need of a change. Eventually we, we received the, the opportunity to, to open a new mission, like an outshoot of, of that bring the mission and that mission is called Bhakti Log. 
So we opened that with all the challenges that that entailed and many devotees from the former mission thinking we abandoned the other mission, we abandoned the guru, we, are, we want to be gurus ourselves and <laughs> all those type of things. And all that entails starting something from, in one sense, from scratch. So, but, but it was a very important chapter also where we have our place and time and way of doing things. But interestingly, after some years passed in that new, more favorable situation, I was personally still, I was going to another existential crisis, if you will, interestingly, because I felt that I needed a different life situation, if you will, a different dynamics according to my nature and according to what I felt I could contribute to, to the Gaudiya community. I was kind of feeling, I'm, I'm not blaming Bhakti Log or any of its members or nothing like that, but just I was not fully fitting into the dynamics of, of, of that situation and mission. Uh, <clears throat> and also the, to have the capacity of myself accepting that and not feeling, oh, I'm, I'm feeling bad because I'm being selfish or I'm in Maya or I'm ungrateful for this new situation, but just I needed some changes according to the situation yeah. I was in, to my own nature. And of course, on top of that, and, and maybe of course there, there's not that much time to enter into details of this, but as you may know, there was a lot of difficult situations with my former guru uh, that, that created also lots of weird dynamics, even although we were in, in a separate mission and somehow we were protected from that, he was nonetheless our guru. So, so how to accommodate with that, how to deal with that. Uh, so all that also kind of furthered fostered my, my need for, for a change and new life dynamics. So somehow that was connected with, with, with my connection, my shelter with, with Guru Maharaj, basically whom I, 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 was, I, I knew him from already. I, mean, I knew him from day one, basically, because at that time when I joined the Ashram in 1999, he was a vice president of the Bishwa Vaishnava Rakshava called World Vaishnava Association. The president was Bhakti Pramod Puri Maharaj. And, and, and so I, I knew about Guru Maharaj's existence. I read some articles a few years after I was with the Sangha newsletter. And I met him for the first time in 2007 in Vrindavan, where I had the chance of rendering some service to him by translating his lectures. <laughs> that wow. was kind of a prophetic seva that will come back to me after some years. Wow. And, and I got as much books as I could from him at that time. So I read first Sikshastagam and I blew my mind. <laughs> And I continue with the other ones. So I started to have correspondence with him and he became in time my main guru figure. I mean, he was my Siksha guru at the time, but I call him Guru Maharaj and he was like my most prominent guru figure in my life. So of course, eventually in time as their relationship developed and I visit him in Anodaria and other places when all these other things happened with my former guru, for me, it was like a very organic, natural choice to to take shelter in Guru Maharaj. <clears throat> I'm summarizing a lot here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing. These interviews, you know, your whole life, you're in an hour and some minutes, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I yeah. When I was just thinking, you know, when you were saying you went through another existential crisis, and I was just seeing thinking about how how an existential crisis and and it's a call it's an internal calling to say you need to be doing something different and you mm -hmm. had that 
you know, at 13 and to 19 and, to, and that, and then again in the temple, because you weren't, you, you, you were ready, I mean, you were ready to move on to some, another service. Krishna had another plan for you to, to go in a certain way. And so that, that feeling of, you know, all the things that come with an existential crisis, the, you know, just not feeling, you know, maybe feeling empty or hopeless or, you know, mm -hmm. or all those feelings help to open door, you know, allow us to see that there's other doors. Otherwise we, you know, complacency, we would just stay kind of in our, whatever our, our comfort zone is. You're always trying to push the devotees out of their comfort zone. One of your, your services to all of us. <laughs> Krishna is putting, pushing me out of the comfort zone very expertly. So <laughs> I'm trying to extend that, that opportunity to others. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it, I mean, you're just really rightly situated. So it seems doing the, um, the traveling that you're doing and, you know, speaking and writing, it's just such a, a perfect, at least it appears to be the perfect, perfect fit for you. I mean, at least at the moment, again, I'm not saying I will have any other crisis and Krishna may have another plan. I'm open to that also. But uh, yeah, I agree with what you say. Crisis is not necessarily a, a bad word. I mean, when yeah. I say crisis, I'm not saying something wrong. And I'm, I'm saying, as you mentioned. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, I know you weren't saying new anything portal, wrong. New chapter, yeah. 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 Just thinking it's yeah, exciting, exciting new adventure. And, and I guess trying to help the devotees to understand how, you know, yeah, crisis and, and, and really challenging, difficult situations to help us embrace them instead of be afraid of them or, you know, think there's something wrong. And I think that's one of the things, at least for myself, that I really hope devotees, it's a takeaway from, from listening to all of these um interviews yeah yeah i i, I think to, to 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 take that step and make that embrace of the challenging paradoxical unknown prospect that knocks on our door that's what makes real difference between becoming yeah like external devotees if you will and, and internal devotees to really grow and mature and, and make our bhakti something alive and part of our existence is to yeah, to not be afraid of that and, de and develop the necessary courage to, to trust, as, as I like to say, that Krishna is doing his job. That's our job. No? Our job is to trust that Krishna is doing his job. So yeah. he's protecting us. He will protect me. He's maintaining me. And I have trust that that's a fact, whatever form it takes. So I have to, to learn to see that and, and to just accept the invitation basically the flute the clarion call as gurmash likes to put it whatever it yeah. may come from <laughs> yeah so just kind of fast forwarding to your your current life which is seems to be a very good fit and you're um connecting with some wonderful devotees from all the sanghas it seems like um and and well loved and accepted and um little three-year-olds making signs for your door telling you that you can this is your room now right <laughs> anyway it's just it's very endearing so I'm, I'm curious um this new i mean it is relatively all the travel and outreach is relatively 
a new, I mean, you've been doing it all along, but you're really doing it now. So what, how, I mean, I'm sure there are some challenges to it. And, you know, I mean, just traveling in itself is, is hardship on the body. So what have the challenges been in, in this new lifestyle hmm. and service? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question, yeah. Because externally it may sound like, oh, I'm, I'm traveling, touring the world, and I'm just receiving one ticket after another, and that's just I'm having fun, and that's all. <laughs> but actually, as you mentioned, I'm to begin with, I'm, I, I think this is being, this is the grace of Guru Maharaj. He opened me so many doors. Also, you are to blame because of many doors that have opened for you, and Nitai, and New York, and so on. <laughs> so... Uh, but I'm very, very happy to have the chance because I've always been inspired to serve devotees in an inter-Sangha context, not only limited to one particular affiliation. That's one of the main things I'm grateful for from my former guru. From day one, he opened me the doors to the whole Gaudiya uh, constellation. So I was accustomed to grow, knowing about all these different sadhus and acharyas and moods. So for me, it has been always been natural and inspiring. And I like to continue serving, although I have, of course, main service in connection to my Guru Maharaj and his Sangha. Part of, part of what Guru Maharaj tries to share is goes beyond his Sangha, if you will, and tries to address the whole Gaudiya community. He, is, he himself make it, makes it clear. So, yeah, I find myself in this new dynamics for the last two years and probably for some any many to come let's see it's not it was not in my plan so I, I don't want also like to project condition something according to what Krishna may want so I'm kind of and, and I have to it's challenging because of course I, I'm not someone who has like very strong physical health uh, and like super healthy and super strong so I need also to calculate how to my movements as to remain alive <laughs> as to make yeah. that sustainable and, and, and as you can imagine, I'm traveling to many places, but I'm not traveling to every place that I've received an invitation to go. <laughs> because if that will be the case, I may spend three days in every different city and country, and that will be too much. Yeah. Not only I mean, to begin physically, but on so many other levels as well, mentally and, and, and emotionally and spiritually. I, I also am a person who needs to, to have one's own place for introspection and, and prayer and practice. I, I, I'm not willing to sacrifice my sadhana for the sake of traveling, for example. And I think that's something that really has helped me to go from day one till now that I, I always have been always, hopefully not attached in a number way, but attached to always chant my rounds and always spend certain amount of time per day for whatever, prachar, study and so on. And I think that was have been a huge blessing. And, and I, I don't want to sacrifice that at the present. On the contrary, hopefully to increase that in, in quantity and quality. So I think that traveling a lot, of course, it means you are constantly changing scenarios, different climates, different psychologists, different cultures, which on one side is very interesting because you have to adapt a lot and that creates lots of flexibility, if you will. But also it's important to keep What's your ideal in mind? What's your mood in mind? What's your uh, type of way of, of serving others in mind? Because if not, it can become like too many influences coming every single day and, and you end up nowhere in a type of hodgepodge limbo. <laughs> so it's important for me to have those moments where I can really go deep into 
how I want to do things, how I want to serve my Guru Maharaj, how I, I need to be and so on. And uh, what else? Well, of course, to travel that much, we are always, it's in one sense, very big blessing. You are surrounded by devotees at every moment. But on one side, you are pretty much by, your, by yourself, basically. You are alone, basically, in one sense. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I like to be alone. I, for me, it's okay. I mean, I'm not recommending this life dynamics almost to anyone. <laughs> you have to have a very specific, uh, if you will, framework of, of identity and it fits for me. But I need also to, to, to keep in touch with intimate connection with well-wishers and friends that I, I know a lot because if not, it can become a little bit like, um, how to say? You can be distracted and so many people you can imagine that you met in these journeys do not actually get to know you that deeply and may over idealize you and see you for a week and you are again an avatar almost or something so you you, you deal with an overdose of kijais as I like to put it. Yeah. One needs to balance that with humanity and unconstructive criticism and those things you may receive them from close people who really know you and and it's important to keep in touch with with those connections with, with, because that really gives balance to, to all the experience that you are having traveling here and there and for some people you are kind of a, a rock star devotional rock star or something yeah. and, 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 and I don't want that to happen no? in, in the name of, of giving something so trying to give something so so noble and so deep trying to misrepresent that through my own deviation and distraction and, and give something distorted and I'm not saying and giving something totally pure, but at least as much as I can be aware, I would like to, to properly represent my, my guardians, my well-wishers. So I will say those are some of the main uh, challenges. Of course, in the midst of these dynamics, I also sometimes need to, to stop for a while for some months in one place, like in India or like in some other place to really ground in, in some other experiences and, and maybe stop preaching that much and going more into my own practice and studies or, 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 or if I will I was thinking speaking yesterday with the devotees regarding writing another book project that is already in mind and how much will I be able to do that while traveling constantly I, I'm not so sure I may need to to get stuck for another six months like it happened when I, <laughs> I was there with you in North Carolina let's see yeah, that's what I was going to say. You can always come here for a retreat and we won't invite anybody. <laughs> Just... yeah, I'm very blessed because I've been three places till now in, North, in, in the US in this last tour. And all those three places that the devotees have told me, told me exactly the same thing. Marash, if you need a writing retreat, you can yeah, come, you here, just and come here and so if you can. That's humbling. No, I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm fortunate to feel how Krishna is really, again, protecting and nourishing and extending affection through the Vaishnava. That's really humbling. <laughs> so that, that helps to keep oneself sober in the midst of such a uh, situation of being the center in one sense, in the eyes of others. All these humbling experiences really balance the equation. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. I, I think it was Maya Angelou. I, she had a statement that something like, uh, I belong everywhere, but I belong nowhere. Mm. But at the same time, I belong nowhere. Mm. So I was thinking of sannyas like, does kind of, I mean, a sannyas is like this, like that, or, or any, any devotee who's dedicating their lives to, yeah, 
trying to, I mean, we can even be in one place and have that feeling that I belong everywhere. <laughs> yeah, 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 I appreciate your point because of course, if you are if you are traveling too much and you you are not dealing with that properly, that can be really dysfunctional to your sense of identity and belonging and who I am or where do I belong to. Am I totally like fractured sense of self? And some people will say, no, stay in one place and and, and settle yourself there and, and root yourself there. But also there is this opportunity of being everywhere and at the same time feeling a sense of belonging universal belonging if you will like yeah. and, and that's the idea eventually for all of us to, to not limit our sense of identity and belonging to one house one family one country one place but more and more universal terms so i, I feel that's a very nice blessing of, for, of course it's a challenge it's not that easy but but it's necessary at, at the end of the day for actually every one of us not only it's a yes yeah, exactly exactly <clears throat> Yeah, so I would just um, kind of looking at our time and I want to to maybe um, just <clears throat> what do you see as being the most profound changes in yourself since you've started this path? Hmm. Well, difficult to tell because, I mean, Bhakti performs miracles in so many levels. So many things can, can be said, not again out of pride, but out, out of hopefully real humility, appreciation for bhakti. I think uh, a, a real humility has to do with accepting this, no? that I'm, I have changed and so many miracles are happening in my life, but it's, it's not me, the, the main character in this. No? Yeah. So I will say in that context that, I don't know, one of the most profound changes have been a huge hmm, degree of emotional maturity that came through some of the most difficult challenges that came to my life. I have gone through so many of those difficult moments and lots of suffering, but lots of, if you will, forced humility and learning and, mm. and, and, and having to integrate, as, as, as I know you like this idea, integration of complexity, mm. trying to put all these pieces together. And that, that gave us a result so much more nuanced and, 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 and deep sense of being an identity and, and fearlessness which i think is so crucial for one to to be alive basically to face whatever has to come in life if you are not fearless you will be just like as sila Simar said you will be paralyzed by fear and doubt so so i've been gifted with i will say with that with experiences with 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 this maturity and, and it's, it's still again ongoing process work on progress and experience of deep and committed relationships and, and a taste for that, a very deep taste for deep and committed relationships and, and, and realizing how much <clears throat> I am a byproduct of that, <laughs> of that environment and how much I, I do want to remain a byproduct of, of that. And, uh, and how much a real deep committed relationship, which of course will become as such after so many difficulties <laughs> and harmonizing in between, that really gives so much gift and, and so much like power empowerment to 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 one's spiritual project so i mean i could go on and on with so many things that i feel bhakti have have given has given me in terms yeah. of transformation but i, I will point in, in those directions a little bit yeah yeah and it's it's just really i think <clears throat> beautiful to hear a sannyasi 
speaking about committed relationships because you know a lot a lot of times we think oh committed relationship you know you have to be in a, in the hostage room for that and probably in some ways you know the, yeah it's yeah. it's just beautiful to hear you speak about that because there is just so much you know that happens in a committed relationship of showing us you know mirroring for us to see where we're really at and you can't get that if you're not in relationship I, I, I it seems yeah I, I remember I spoke recently in one podcast with Jai Jagannath Prabhu and Karuna Vatar on mm. monasticism and, and I was mentioning this point that I think that many sannyasis have not been able to sustain their vows because of lack of committed relationship and not with the opposite sex, of course, but yeah. of intimacy, no? of expressing even sexual, sexual energy as creative energy and creative energy having to do also with sexual experience having to do with intimacy. And intimacy is not only limited to sexual energy. So as a sannyasi, also I need intimacy, but that doesn't mean that I need a partner, if you will. I need just committed relationships, no? so deep connection with people. And that will give so much support that of course you will be able to sustain your vows to be a sannyasi doesn't mean that you are not relating with anyone at least not in our bhakti mark that's not yeah. the way we approach that as sannyasis because at the end of the day we are not even sannyasis we want to be bhaktas and servants of the bhaktas and friends with the devotees so so yeah i i really think that that's crucial for any ashram any barna any ashram to really maintain yourself humanly sober and, and 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 not go go crazy basically <laughs> what yeah. is sustaining your vows yeah yeah so that's so so one one thing in this connection that also this type of experiences and gifts from bhakti i think yeah th th those have also made me be much more at peace with myself and also much mm. more at peace with trying to focus as gumras will say with making progress and not in the need of converting others or convincing others and, or, and even not concerned about what every single person may think or feel about me. Because in, in one point of my life that has happened in the sense of I start to become more and more of a public figure. And, you know, being a public figure on some level, it entails this type of interactions and opinions and social media and whatnot. So trying to develop a healthy stance in, in that connection and not being indifferent, but just trying to, to understand to, to be open to those opinions that come from a constructive place. And if that's not happening, basically life goes on and I have to remain focused on the important stuff, basically. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. And just as kind of like a closing point, maybe just some advice that you would give to our viewers, uh, devotees, as far as treading the bhakti marg and you know what's what is the i mean you've said so many things but just then to maybe grab out the you know some the essence <laughs> yeah it's something some some just beautiful advice that i know that you can turn out of it all yeah yeah it will be easier to send some links of youtube lectures there but <laughs> <laughs> right almost every class i try at least to to, to make every class as a form of that advice, but of course we can say something. I don't know, I will emphasize it in a very simple way, but at the same time, 
something I consider very important, the dialogue as basis of any relationship and, and be careful with proper communication in, in your interactions because that's so crucial to remain personalists and not becoming impersonalists. I mean, we are so much about personalism in our bhakti mark, but we have to reflect that in how we relate to others and how much time we, quality time we spend in, in taking care of our communication and dialogue. Because without that, devotional project will become, I don't know, superficial, fictitious even. Um, what else? No matter how hard it gets, Krishna is always protecting you. So don't forget that. I mean, we sometimes we were speaking about that yesterday with Lalita Saki, that we know Krishna is always in control. We know Krishna is protecting that, us always. But sometimes we forget. We, we become distracted from that reality. So in those moments that we have a cloudy day, we basically have to switch back to that particular focus and remember that thing that remains there. Krishna is doing his job. He's always protecting me. Actually, he's protecting me more than what, what I can imagine. And of course, what can I do to reciprocate? No, I'm not, when I say Krishna, this extends to Sri Guru and the Vaishnavas. So the blessings and the mercy that is coming to our life goes beyond our wildest imagination. And sometimes it goes so much beyond what we can imagine <laughs> that that protection is seen by perceived by us as non-protection because we may idealize Krishna will protect me in this way, but he's protecting me in such a much more comprehensive way that it takes another shape. And we misread that another shape and feel, oh, this is dangerous. And we, <laughs> and we may praise, pray to Krishna for protection and he's actually protecting us. That's, that's a beautiful point. I yeah. love it. Yeah. What else? Something, yeah, we were like, we depend on others, the well-wishing of, of, of others and, and, and the affection of others more that we can conceive as well. So try to secure well-wishing and affection from Vaishnav, try to win the heart of the Vaishnavs in a sincere way, because you need it, we need it. And of course, no matter how much mercy and grace we have, we have received, we have to, to continue working every single day. We have to every single day reaffirm our vows, our commitments with our ideal. It's, it's, it, that's our job. Again, Krishna is doing his job, but our job is to, on every single day, that's, that's what it means to practice sadhana every day, not just to do stuff mechanically, but to reaffirm my inner convictions, to update them, upgrade the depth of my commitments. And in this way, I will be continuing growing in a progressive way till reaching the goal. And when you reach the goal, so much growth will be waiting from that on also. No? So, <laughs> how it is. Really wonderful. So any, any last, anything you'd like to say about your current travels and, um, and the, your book and how it's being received and um, well, anything for, that? Yeah, fortunately the book has been received very nicely. Of course, there has been in, in every place I've been some also Challenges in a healthy way. The boat is like being a little bit like challenged by the content, but unfortunately willing to speak and interact. And, and it's very wonderful also to see that process of transformation in a few days at the boat is that are having certain stance and not about that they accept practice inherent or not inherent, but just to open themselves to things can be different and, and to, to be open to deconstruct some notions they carried for decades and, and be willing to oh, you know, embrace a 
more nuanced perspective for me to witness that witness that is like magic and i'm, I'm humbled by being instrumental in, in something of that so I, i'm happy to to contribute from that side to the life of the Vaishnavs. and so in that sense it's very nice now i'm in kansas for one more week and then i'll be going back to north carolina for three more weeks and so on michigan eventually over there alachua then Europe, then Central America, then maybe India and, and so on. See you somewhere, see you soon or see you Zoom, as we say. <laughs> so we have just a few more minutes. Maybe we can open up for questions if um, anyone on the call has a question. Well, we've got Indra, she's, she's all excited. <laughs> you have to unmute yourself there. Hare Krishna Pranav. Yes, I'm very excited. Like, thank you so much for this interview series. And Hare Krishna Maharaj. Um, so I'm just going to make it quick. I think um, what's really on my mind is um, what were the names of your bands and where can we get the records? <laughs> I think there's, I can reply the first part of the, of the question, basically. <laughs> uh, first part the names of the bands what was called i mean that was a, a word we created so that's not there's no specific meaning but the name of the band was inabia so that was a word that a band that i played drums on and and the, the, the name of the band had a subtitle something like the revenge of nature or something like that <laughs> and the second band was called harmony so that's an, and not technically the same way like you pronounce it in English, but basically that was the idea conveyed, harmony. So that's, a, of course, a word that I still carry with me and very important. And regarding the, where to get the albums, I don't have a clue, to be honest. I mean, I don't have them with me and, and I don't know if there may be anywhere. But, and I don't, I wouldn't recommend you to hear them. So, <laughs> so it's okay, no problem. Continue with the nice music you are doing and the curtains you may be hearing. Hare Krishna. I, and I was wondering, so um, the songs, were they more like a philosophical nature or, I mean, generic love songs, or maybe no, you can uh, talk about this. And also if you are still writing songs. Thank uh, you. Uh, mm. Well, generic love songs has, as, as I told you, romanticism is not on my chart. So <laughs> that's, that's not happening. So yeah, most of them were all, I mean, all of them were totally into the existential crisis and philosophy and, and, and trying to deal with all that stuff. Some of them were in English, some of them were in Spanish. And uh, if I have written other things, yeah, actually during my time with the devotees, I've had like three different bands. I didn't mention that one. <laughs> so, and I, in one of them, I, I continue playing in my brahmachari times. I play drums in one, I play guitar in another and play tabla in another. And we recorded like, different albums with each one of them. Uh, I, now as a sannyasi, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. Not because of some forced thing, but I, I just don't feel that, I mean, my creativity has taken the, the, the direction of writing. I mean, before I also wrote, but the prominence changed now, switched. And of course I continue trying to express myself even musically when we sing kirtans and bhajans. But yeah, I, I've written songs, uh, there are many, yeah, there are songs that are written there that have never even been recorded, but, but yeah, more now the creative energy, Kriya Shakti is flowing through the writing process or even like giving lectures for me is like a creative experience, you not know, trying to express and share thoughts and 
there's musicality in it as well. <laughs> so maybe you can write a theme song for your book. <laughs> that would be creative. <laughs> Thank you. I'm trying to invest all my creativity. In the, the, in the last book, I really invested <laughs> lots of creativity. So I don't know mm. if there's something left for writing a song for it, let's see. <laughs> It would probably that would go viral for sure. <laughs> Any other questions from the devotees that are on the call? Okay, well, looks like there's no other questions, so I'm just really grateful to have you come on and um, your kindness for giving us your time and um, your precious time and it's getting more and more precious these days so um, thank you so much it was beautiful and so many really really nice um, points that you brought out and yeah thank you for just being an inspiration to me but in so many ways and and I know to a lot of other devotees that you are just, yeah, a bright, a bright star in their life. So that's not supposed to go to your head. <laughs> it's going to go to your heart. Put it in your heart. <laughs> Thank you so much to you and to all the devotees present here, devotees in the Sangha and all the people that, yeah, I've, I've crossed my path and will be crossing the Again, I'm blessed to, to, to be of service to all of you and the opportunity to bless you gives further meaning to my, to my existence. So thanks for giving me the opportunity to, to be of service somehow. Thank you so much. And just to let everybody know that next week, Indra will be doing an interview. And then we're going to be taking a break from the interviews for a couple of months. Um, but we'll pick them up again in the summertime and thank you so much for your all the devotees who got on today it's wonderful to have some some beautiful smiling faces up there mm -hmm. jai hari krishna Go to hari. Go.